0: Amen. Thank you, Anthony. You can have a seat. Hey, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up to where where you're catching us. Uh, That is, we as a church family are working our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Luke. We started that right before Christmas. We'll continue it for 20 some odd weeks uh, until we get to the very end of Luke. And here's how you can think about Luke, one of the ways, is that for the first eight chapters, there's a theme. Here's the theme. It's, who is this Jesus? We're going to see uh, that this week. We saw it last week as demons respond to Jesus. His word has authority. His words and his teaching are powerful. And, and the question to the audience 2,000 years ago was, man, who is this Jesus? And next week, we're going to see fish respond Jesus. And and people are going to go, who's this Jesus? That fish jump into our boat because he says so a little bit later. You'll see the winds and the waves obey Jesus. And you go, who is this Jesus? For eight chapters, this question comes up and it comes up and it comes up. Who is this Jesus to you? I think that's The question in front of us here today, that's the question of the first part of Luke, and how do you answer that? What happens in Scripture is we see this guy, Simon, who gets renamed as Peter, excuse me, I'm gonna sneeze into the microphone, and he gets Simon gets renamed as Peter. So I warned you, it's coming. And maybe I'll just linger there for like five minutes. And uh, for eight chapters, we see him following Jesus. And then, in chapter nine, verse twenty, <laughs> in chapter nine, verse twenty, uh, Jesus says, "But who do you say that I am?" And Peter responds, you are the Christ of God. And then from there, the end of chapter 9, through the next several chapters, the theme becomes, follow me. And Jesus is saying, yep, you got it. You're right. I am the Christ of God. Therefore, follow me. And do you see that pattern? Who is this Jesus? And when you answer it correctly, the response then becomes, yeah, therefore, follow me. And who is Jesus to you? Have you answered that question? I think for some of us, we've said, yeah, he's a, a good guy. You know, my grandma kind of followed Jesus. She would like it if I come to church. So I come to church once in a while. Yeah, I guess. I'm, I'm an American. And I like apple pie and baseball. I, I suppose I'm a Christian, sort of. You know, I, I've been to church. So yeah, that's who Jesus is to me. He's a, a good teacher. He kind of taught, like all the other good teachers, to, to love each other, right? And I would suggest to you that if that's the answer, he's just kind of a good guy. He's another philosophical teacher. He's just I think he's kind of about love. If that's been your answer, when the valleys of life come, when it becomes hard to follow Jesus, I think you'll choose not to. Let me say it this way. When you look out and and what the world says about your sexuality and you say, hey, I would like to use my sexuality how I want to use it. When it becomes hard to follow the purity that Jesus lays out, I don't know if you will. When, When... You read in scripture, hey, I am the Lord of your mind, and I want to give you purity of thought in your mind and take captive every thought. But you say, no, I'd like to let my thoughts linger on the impure things of the world. If push comes to shove, if you've answered the question, who is this Jesus? Uh, Just another guy. I, I don't think you'll follow. If, however, you see Jesus for who he really is, I think you, me, Simon Peter 2,000 years ago, I think we can't help ourselves but say, yes, I want to follow you. What we're going to see here in our passage that we'll jump into in just a second, and is the story of the Bible, is that the real Jesus is this guy, the, the God who thought up the idea of you at the foundations of the world. Do you know that? Despite what an angry relative may have told you, despite the message you may have learned in a university classroom, despite the message you may have got writ large from society at whole, God at the foundations of the world wanted there to be a Dawson, a Brett, a Violet. Another breath, two breaths. God at the beginning of the world knew that he wanted to create you. He thought up the idea of you. And while you were yet in your mother's womb, he was knitting you together. The scripture says that even your frame was not hidden from him. That means your bones, your cheekbones If you don't like your cheekbones, you got to take it up with God. He knew what he was doing when he put you together. And all the intricacies of your soul are not put there on accident. He wanted there to be a you. He he put you together. And when you know that Jesus and you open in the word and you say, that Jesus literally came from heaven to earth. He conquered sin and death because he wanted to spend eternity with me. He thought up the idea of me. He created me. And he wanted to spend eternity with me. If that's your answer, who is this Jesus? Then when it comes time to follow, when it comes time to say, man, Jesus, I want to use my sexuality here, but I think you know what's best, then you follow. And when you answer the question, oh, Jesus, I want to let my mind linger here and my thoughts go here, but I think you know what's best. I'm going to fight for purity. I think you follow, and the question comes back to us, who is this Jesus to you? We're going to see uh, today, as Simon has some of his first interactions with Jesus, how Simon answered this question. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up with us uh, to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to start with just the first two verses, 38, 39. I'll read it through, give you a little bit of context, and then we'll get to some application. And he arose, that he is Jesus, and left the synagogue. He's leaving the synagogue. If you were here last week, Brett did a great job of walking us through what was happening earlier in this day. So the synagogue was basically the church for Jewish people 2,000 years ago. Jesus had spent the morning or the early part of that day teaching, casting out demons uh, in the synagogue, so why is he leaving the synagogue? Because he's done ministering. So that's the first piece, like Jesus has just spent all day serving. He left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. So this, this is all happening in a place called Capernaum. It's a rural seaside village near the Sea of Galilee. The whole what we've excavated, 2,000 years later, uh, covers about like half of our church's property. So it's a pretty small town. So Jesus would have just been taking a little stroll a few blocks, maybe two blocks over to Simon's house at the furthest. It might have been right next door. Okay, so you kind of see in this picture in your mind. He entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law, and let me pause there. <clears throat> Simon, uh, what we know about him is he's probably about 20, he's over 20. He's in his early 20s, probably. He's married. So his mother in law is at his house. Cool? All right, moving on through. Mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. I'll come back to that last part. Do you get that scene? That Simon and whoever's with him appeal to Jesus, they are healthy. And they appeal to Jesus, hey, would you help this sick person? But before that, let me just say this uh, there's a high fever. Now, you and I hear high fever today, and I don't think we quite get the urgency of what would have been happening 2,000 years ago. In COVID, how many of you had your temperature taken last week? Yeah? So we are very aware of fevers, aren't we? I went to the DMV. They wouldn't let me in the courthouse. Uh, I was just switching license plates. Don't worry. I I went to the DMV, and they took my temperature on the way in. I I could not get in without uh, my temperature. And I can't even talk about a fever without remembering 2010, because as you guys I'm sure remember, we were in the Big 12 championship, and we were playing the Texas Longhorns. And I had been pre- preparing all day to watch this game. So we had an, an awesome defense then. The bunch of City Light guys, uh, Prince and uh, Terrence Moore and, uh, oh gosh, Halu was on that team. There's a bunch of the City Light guys on that team. And they had an awesome defense. And I was getting excited to watch it. And our daughter, who was a year and a half at the time, was running a bit of a fever. So my wife brought our daughter and said, uh, hey, she's running a fever. What do you think I should do? I don't know. I'm going to watch the game. You should figure that out, though. That is that is a good plan. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know now. See, I just didn't know then. Uh, and a little time went on. The game's getting closer. She goes, no, no, it's, it's ticking up. I can't get it to come down. I said, ah, yeah, boy, I don't know. It's like Saturday night or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Ah, why are we thinking about this? Where are the wings? And then uh, a little bit later, she comes. She goes, Ethan, this is a problem. And she puts my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter in my hands, and she is not well. And I'm like, oh. And her eyes rolled up in the back of her head, and uh, she immediately started losing color. Her lips went blue. And guess what happened in my world? Everything stopped. I couldn't care less what happened in a football game in Dallas. That's not true. I couldn't care much what happened in a football game because all my attention, all of a sudden, there was an urgency. I had to get her to someplace where she could get well. And as you're getting your mind's eye around the the context of Simon here, that would have been uh, what he was experiencing. 2,000 years ago, there's no ibuprofen, Those there's no medical uh, professionals, there's no ER you can take your mother-in-law to. She, I mean, people died from a fever all the time. And as we rushed off uh, to the hospital or to the emergency room and we finally got there, uh, she ended up... 100% okay. <laughs> it's this thing called roseola that little kids get, and it causes a spike in fever, and she, had, uh, she passed out, had a seizure. Um, but in a half an hour, she was all over the place. She was trying to get into everything. It was like elf eating the cotton balls. She was just like everywhere. We're like, okay, she's obviously fine. But that spike in the fever had really got us concerned. It really got our attention. And the doctor explained the fever this way. He said, the fever is not the problem. The fever is an outward sign that we measure of an inward problem. And just as we're talking about baptism in a couple of weeks, and Austin did a great job saying, hey, baptism is an outward sign of a really good inward commitment that you've made to follow Jesus. In the same way, a fever is an outward sign that we can measure that's an indication of something bad Inside An illness, a virus, an infection, something inside your body that's causing this fever to spike. And you can measure it on the outside. That's what happened. And and he went on to explain, and this is my rough translation 11 years later, that the fever is actually caused because your body's producing white blood cells. And the white blood cells are going to go attack the bad stuff. But in the process, as your body's making those, it, it gets hot and it creates this fever. And that is a picture, that is a metaphor for our spiritual condition. Boy, if you were to take your temperature spiritually, what would it say? What would it say about you and your internal condition? Uh, Here's a question that's been super helpful for me over the years as I've sort of tried to take my temperature spiritually and see how am I doing spiritually is this. Boy, when you're not working, When you're not striving, when you're not trying to do something, and and you're just sort of daydreaming, when your mind is at ease, where do the affections of your heart lead you to? If you were to answer that honestly today, what would it be? What would it be? And and that question, if you're honest with it, has been a really good gauge for me, a, a thermometer to say, man, how am I doing? And I'll tell you one example because you're trying to think, right? Like, how, how would I? Where d- does my mind wander when I'm just daydreaming? So for me, a couple months ago, maybe, uh, maybe it was longer than that, but uh, I drive uh, down O Street out to Eagle every day to work. And as I go back home, I pass a billboard that many of you pass all the time. Uh, that's for the lottery. And you guys remember this? It started ticking up from four to five to six hundred million dollars to seven, eight, nine. It reached a billion dollars. One individual, I believe, won a billion dollars on the lottery. And here's the real truth. When I was done working, when I was done sort of striving for the day and I'd go back home, I would see one glance at that billboard. And you know where the affections of my heart would turn? What if that was me? What if somehow I won the lottery without ever buying a ticket. What if I just, that, I, God just blessed me with that. What would I do? And here's what I would do. You guys know about half of that would go to taxes, so I'm left with only $500 million at the end of the day. I'd take $50 million of that, put it in an endowment, and I think we could kick off about $2 million a year that we could give away uh, while giving that 10% overall to God, and me, of course, using the other 90% on me, but that 10% going to God, and we'd kick it off, and we'd still grow the nest egg over time. I've thought about that too much, haven't I? (laughs) It's never going to happen. I'm never going to win the lottery, right? But what's happening there? It's a thermometer for my soul. I'm taking my temperature. And when my mind is at ease, and where do the inclinations of my heart go? I had to chase it down into my soul and say, man, what is going on there? I'd go home and say, hey, kids, what would you do if you won $500 Cause you know they take half for taxes, and then we're gonna give that other, and and, I'd, and they'd be like, oh, I'd buy a dog. I'm like, Oh, you don't get it. This would be <laughs> like, we can buy a dog. We can get the hamster, but you don't like. What's happening there? Well, I had to ask God, like God, what is going on there? And here's the reality for me, is that for 17 years I was in support-based ministry. I had to rely on God literally for my paycheck. Uh, teachers and doctors and accountants would give financially so that I could go be in ministry. Right now, I rely on the gifts of God's people to the church so that I can go and minister. And what was my heart saying when I took the temperature? Boy, it'd be nice to be a self-sufficient man boy it'd be nice to kind of get out from under God's control boy it'd be nice if I could just be responsible for me that if I didn't have to rely on Jesus and you open up the scripture and you see uh, the God who said I want to be your sustainer I want to be the bread of life I want to provide for your soul I want to be your Lord I want to provide for you and I'm saying oh boy wouldn't it be nice not to not to have Jesus provide for me if I could just provide that for myself And maybe that's not you, but maybe here on Valentine's Day, as you, if you were really honest, in those down moments, when you're just sort of daydreaming, the affections of your heart turn to your relationship status. And maybe you're married and you say, man, if I would have just married that other person, or you're married and you're saying, man, if I could just change my spouse in this way, then I would be complete. Then I would, I would have it made. Then my life would be full Or you're saying, man, if I could just break up with this person, I know it's bad news. I know God's leading me to, but I don't want to hurt them. If I could just break up with them without hurting them or their family, oh, then, then my life would be good. Or maybe you're single and you're saying, oh, Valentine's Day again, are you kidding me? If I could just, I don't even want the boyfriend or girlfriend. I just want to know there's a date on the horizon. If I could just have that, then I'd be complete. Then I'd be whole. Then I would know God's not holding out on me. And do you see that? When you take your thermometer and you put it on your soul, you say, man, there's a sickness in here. That indicates there's a problem here. And maybe that's not it for you, but it's bitterness. And you've been wronged. Like, really, you've been wronged. That person did something wrong to you. And in the quiet of your heart, when you're just sitting and thinking, your your thoughts tend to think toward, man, how could I get them back? What is the one quip I could say to them that, boy, when they're trying to go to bed at night, they would just be rehearsing that thing I would say, and, boy, I could really get under their skin? Or how could I make it so that they experience just an ounce of pain that they caused me? And, And when you're in the quiet of your own thoughts... When you're daydreaming, where do the inclinations of your heart tend to go? I want to tell you that we're going to see the story of a Jesus who doesn't need you to be cleaned up. He doesn't need you to be perfect, but he wants you to bring those to him. He wants you to be honest and just say, Jesus, this is where I'm at today. Would you come into that place in my heart? God, I confess this sin. I confess that there's a fever here in bitterness and my relationship status and the love of money. And I need you to come and give me. A new heart. What we're going to see here today is that Jesus loves to respond. He loves to respond when that's the cry of our heart. Moving on in the passage here, uh, we see a, a handful of things. I'm going to read it one more time uh, just to kind of reset us. And, and then I want to point out one more thing. And he arose and left the synagogue, entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him. On her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Real quickly here, uh, what does Peter believe, excuse me, Simon at this point, what does he believe about Jesus? I said the theme was, who is this Jesus? What do we see from Simon's actions uh, that that Simon believes about Jesus? How's he answering that question? Well, I think one, Answer is in the fact that when Jesus had just got done serving all morning, and when uh, Simon is uh, observing the Sabbath, that Simon comes and he, he still asks Jesus. He still has the audacity to ask something of Jesus. Can you imagine that scenario? Jesus has been casting out demons. Jesus has been teaching all day in the synagogue. And then when he gets to Simon's house, Simon says, here, I want you to do more work. 2,000 years ago, the Jewish community thought of work on the Sabbath as a sin. And they not only thought of some work as a sin, they had put together dozens and dozens and dozens of rules about what work was. I'll highlight one. They thought you should not walk on grass on the Sabbath. Do you know why? Because the grass had to do work to stand itself up straight after you walked on it. So they thought, hey, when we're gonna keep the Sabbath holy and I could do this all day, they had all these rules about working on the Sabbath, not to do it, how you had to protect it. Don't walk on grass because then you're causing it to have to do work. And what does Simon do? After Jesus has just got done working all day, he asked him to work. He asked him to go against religious tradition. Who is this Jesus? Simon is answering it in part by his question. He's saying, "I I think maybe this Jesus cares way more about people than he does religious tradition. 2,000 years later, the same Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, I care way more about you. I care way more about the affections of your heart. I care way more about people than I do about religious activity. Do you know that? Could you answer, who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who loves me, who created me, who wants to spend time with me, who cares way more about what's happening in my heart than where my butt sits on Sunday morning. He cares way more about that. Do you know that Jesus? The The second thing that we see is uh, Simon, I think we see uh, hints of what's going to be his relationship to God. So uh, next week, Austin will talk about it. Peter ends up being a, dis- spoiler alert, Peter ends up being the, the Apostle Peter, who's Saint Peter, who follows Jesus, um, and he gets to follow Jesus, and he gets to hear Jesus cry out to God and call God, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. And eventually, uh, Peter and the disciples say, Jesus, could you teach us how to, how to pray? And he says, when you pray, say, start this way and say it with me, our Father our father, our dad. And you see hints of this here in Simon's life that one, he thinks, hey, maybe Jesus cares more about people than religion. And then two, boy, I wonder if I don't have access like a son. And you see hints here. And do you know that? 2,000 years later, as you sit here in City Light on Sunday morning, do you understand that? Do you know that? Can you answer that question? Who is this Jesus He's my daddy. Let me say it a different way. At 3 a.m. tonight, who has the right to come and ask me for a drink of water? Nobody's raising their hand. This is good. This is very good. You you do not have the right to come and ask me for a drink of water. Please don't come. Consider this an invitation not to come at 3 a.m. and ask for a drink of water, right? Uh, Does my spouse have the right to ask me? Will she get a response? Ah, it depends on the day. Now, Skylar needs to respond with a nine-month pregnant wife. She has the right, but it just depends on the day if she's going to get a response, right? But if my five-year-old son walks in the door and he tugs at the covers and he says, Daddy, Daddy, would you give me a drink of water? Do you know what he's going to get? Because the next thing he's going to say is, Because I need a drink of water, because we watched Lord of the Rings, and Dad, you forgot how scary that was with the orcs and the goblins, and now I had nightmares, (laughs) which is true. But what's he going to give from me? I'm absolutely dragging myself out of bed. Why? Because he's my boy. Because I love him. And Peter, I think, sees some of this, and through his actions, he's answering the question, who is this Jesus See, just in seed form, an answer I think he, I have access to him. I have access like an adopted son of the Most High. Do you know that, Jesus, that way? Have you ever made that commitment to say, yes, Jesus, I need you? The the reality of scripture is if you have said yes to Jesus, he adopts you into his family and you have access. And as true as that is, the opposite is equally true. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've said yes to religious activity and intellectual assent to Jesus, you don't have access to the Father in that way. Peter, Simon, I think here gets this idea that yes, I have access to him, or maybe I have access, and so he's willing to take a step of faith and ask the last thing I think Simon sees here comes right at the end of uh, Jesus' time on earth so Uh, from here, the next chapter, you're going to see Peter follows Jesus, three years in ministry with Jesus. Jesus goes to the cross, dies, is resurrected. And right at the end of his time on earth, he's talking to his disciples and he gives the great commission. And when he does it, he says this, and I just want you to catch the front end and the back end. He says, all authority on heaven and earth Has been given to me. Therefore, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is this Jesus? I think Peter in the synagogue earlier in the day saw, wow, this, is a, this Jesus has power. He has authority. And then at the end of the story of the gospels, he goes, oh, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And where is he? He's with me to the end of the age. And if you believed these things, if I believed these things... If I believe, number one, that Jesus cared way more about people than he does religion, two, that I relate to him as an adopted son that I have access, and three, that Jesus has all authority, he has authority over a physical fever, he has authority over a spiritual demon, that all authority has been given to Jesus, and he is with me to the end of the age, would I not pray differently? If I believed those things, wouldn't I have an urgency to run to Jesus when my mother in law is sick? When somebody in my life is not sick physically, but they're sick spiritually? They made a confession of faith two years ago and they're not walking with God. Wouldn't I, on my first instinct, go and run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you have authority here. I know I can relate to you. I know you care way more than I care. Jesus, would you come and meet this person? Uh, some of you have roommates, and you chose those roommates because you thought they were going to help you spiritually. They thought they were going to be uh, somebody who would be a good friend for you spiritually, and you guys would walk together with God, and they haven't been. They've been bad. They've been bad roommates. They, they are detractors from your faith. And I think part of the call here today might be, Jesus may not be asking you to give them one more intellectual argument. He might be saying, hey, you've done enough emotional yelling at that person. You've done enough talking to other people about your roommate. Would you come to me, your spiritual, your heavenly father, who cares way more about them and has authority in their lives, and would you just begin to pray for them? Would you give that person to me? Would you bring them to me through your prayers? And that might be the challenge for some of us, Today, Who is this Jesus? I think Peter answers with these three things. Let's move on to, from here. But before we do, I just want to say this. They appealed to him on her behalf. When the scripture says that, they're saying they, Peter, and others who are well, appealed to Jesus on behalf of those who are sick. Peter's mother-in-law We have no record of her ever saying, Jesus, will you help me? We just have a record of Peter saying, hey, Jesus, would you help my mother-in-law? Do you see that? Do you see the power in prayer of us as healthy, bringing the sick to him? All right, let's move on to verses 40 through 41. Now, when the sun was setting, so when the sun was setting, Jesus has spent literally all day uh, casting out demons, teaching in the synagogue. He is working hard. The sun was setting. All those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him. Wait, it feels like we've been here before, doesn't it? Who brings the sick? Did the sick get on their, their one crutch? Did the sick get in their wheelchair and make their way to Jesus? No. Who brings them? All those who had any sick, who were sick, with various diseases, brought them to him. And what happens? Do you know this, Jesus? He delights to do this. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. How did they get healing? Because someone else brought them to Jesus. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew, because they knew that he was the Christ. Let me just briefly touch on the, the demons. I thought Brett did an excellent job last week walking through those. Go back and, and watch that if you're interested more in the demonic. But I, I do have three things I wanted to, to point out. The first is Jesus has authority. That when at the end of the Gospels, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He wasn't joking. He, it wasn't hyperbole. He meant it. and we see this power here, is that Jesus has authority in the spiritual realm. Do you know that? Do you know that, Jesus? And he has power in the physical realm. Jesus has power in your physical realm. Do you pray only for spiritual? Do you pray only for physical? I would challenge both of those, that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And when we see that with the demons, that is absolute proof that he is casting out those demons. The second is this: what do the demons say when they come out? Oh, you're nobody, you're nothing. Oh, guys, don't listen to this Jesus. He's he's a fool. No. What do they say? You're the Son of God. This should scare us. Because they get it right more than many in our society. The demons have it absolutely right. Do you understand that? James 2 says, even the demons believe that there is but one God and shudder. And I wonder if there are some of us who intellectually know. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is probably God. But you've given your life not to Jesus, not to faith in him. You're trusting in your religious activity rather than the affections of your heart. It doesn't end well for the demons, and I would suggest if that's you, it's not gonna end well. Instead, what Jesus wants is he wants a commitment from your heart where you say, yes, Jesus, I'm not gonna get it right every single day, but God, I wanna follow you. Would you give me the faith to follow today and tomorrow? Doesn't it scary? Who is this Jesus? The demons answer that intellectually correct, right? They get it right, and I wonder if that's some of us today, that we intellectually could write it down on a test. But our lives don't demonstrate it. The last thing, when, when Jesus rebukes the demons that I want to point out, is he shuts them up. That word rebuke means he stops them from talking. That they, uh, He willfully stops them from doing what they want to do. Isn't that interesting? If they get it right, why does he shut them up? Why wouldn't he just say, oh, okay, cool, more people to tell the world that I'm the son of God. And the answer is comes actually in this verse that I've been uh, repeating, where at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, at the end, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and be my witnesses. You now, as the adopted son or daughter of the king, you have permission to go and tell people what God has done for you. And do you see it? Jesus is saying, yeah, intellectually, you get it, demons, but you are a a personal, evil, supernatural being who I don't give. You don't get to speak for me. You don't get to go be my witness to the world. Instead, the men and women who understand who I am, who can answer the question, who is this Jesus? And they can say, he's my daddy. He's my heavenly father. Those are the people That I give the right, I give the authority, I give the ability to go out into the world as my witnesses. And guys, that part scares me a little bit. It's like, man, how many people in my life could get the answers to the test right? They're saying the right things just like a demon. But their lives go out and demonstrate that they've never seen Jesus. That scares me for some of my friends and for me on certain days. But I can tell you, we can have assurance in our salvation uh, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so that's with the demons. Let me tell you this story um, as I lead into this last piece. Uh, I was 15 years old, uh, started my freshman year of high school, And uh, I had a great church and great youth group growing up. And the youth pastor took a mugshot of all the regular attenders at church, got the pictures printed, and put them on a bulletin board. And then he gave this challenge to all the adults in the church. He said, hey, these pictures are up. And what I would challenge you to do is find somebody who you don't know very well, grab their picture off the bulletin board, and commit to praying for that student for the rest of the year. Cool idea. So... I didn't think much of it, but a couple days later, I got a letter in the, mail, in the mail. And now a letter was a piece of paper that you could put a stamp. I got a letter in the mail, and it said, hey, my name's LaVon. I don't think I'd ever talked to LaVon before in my life. I couldn't have picked her out of a lineup, I don't think. But she said, hey, I feel right back. Um, and there was this ink that you would put on the paper, and then I would send that in the mail. And after the carrier pigeon took my letter, she opened it, and she <laughs> read that, uh, uh, here are my prayer requests, Levon, lady I've never met, who's in her 70s in my church. Uh, one, I have a terrible mouth, and still do. And I, swear words come out way too often, and especially in sports, it's a bad news. And I know I put other things, but that was the one that I kind of remember. And so, cool. My 15-year-old self didn't think about that another second. (laughs) A couple months went by, and this 70-year-old lady grabbed me at church, and she said, hey, Ethan, just wondering how the swearing's going uh, at sports and stuff. Like, what is happening? Who are you? Who have you been talking to? I totally had forgotten and then as she started talking, it's like slowly came back. Oh, 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 I told you all that. Oh, <laughs> right. And then it sunk in like, whoa, you care? You're praying for me? And she got out her little notebook. LeVon Prouty was her name. And she said, well, yeah, i Cross it off if it's done, but if it still needs some work, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep it on there. And then she wrote the next one and the next one. And here's and I gave her some prayer requests. I was probably more honest with her than I was with my parents. And she goes, okay, well, I, I'll, I'll pray for those things. Uh, and then she would check in with me every few months. Uh, and she did for the whole course of my freshman year of high school. And then my sophomore year came. And LaVon kept praying, my junior, senior, junior year of college. For 10 years, this lady who I'd never met prior had committed to praying for me. She interceded for me. I am here spiritually in part because LaVon went to Jesus on my behalf. And when I was 15 and 16 and 17, there were times I was not interested in talking to Jesus but she was at her house on her knees and she was asking Jesus to talk to me. And there were times I was not interested in following Jesus, but you know what LaVon was doing? She was asking, Jesus, would you just lead him anyway, even if he's not interested right now in following? You see, Simon brings, his sick, or brings Jesus to his sick mother-in-law and what does Jesus do? He responds. You see, all these people who had sick in their family. What'd they do? They brought those to Jesus. And what's Jesus do? He responds. Who is this Jesus? Do you know the Jesus who delights to respond? My last thing I want to say is there's some of us here who you have a family member, you have a friend, you have a roommate who's in your life, and they are not interested in listening to Jesus or being led by Jesus right now. And the challenge might be, Would you be like Simon and say, okay, even if you can't get to Jesus right now, I can. That's my daddy. That's my father. And I want to go to him. I have access to him because I am an adopted son of the Most High, and he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And do you know right now you could do that? How many of you have had a Levon Prouty in your life? Raise your hand here quick. We got a handful who have had a Levon Prouty in their life. How many of us don't raise your hand this time because they all should go up? How many of us could be a Levon to somebody in our lives? That's my challenge to you, and let me summarize it this way. I think Simon gets, one, that he has access to Jesus, two, he's an adopted son of God, and three, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. If I believed those things to be true like Simon did, I would not only run to my father in prayer whenever... the the peaks or the valleys of life came, but I would be so much more inclined to go to Jesus when these people in my life can't make it. Would we pray today that that would be true of us as a people? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message uh, that you have been uh, ringing out for 2,000 years. God, I thank you for LaVon Prouty in my life, uh, who like a a pit bull on a prime rib would not let go of 15-year-old Ethan Weecamp through prayer who believed these things about Jesus. She believed she had access, that she was an adopted son or daughter of the king and that in such she could go to Jesus and bring her requests. She believed that you had authority. And God, I just think of the ways my life is blessed because she was committed to you And she was committed to praying for me. God, the handful of us who raised our hands um, today, who said, yeah, I've had somebody like that in my life. I thank you for that. But God, I pray for the whole collective of us, that as we consider, we meditate, we seek you after this message, and that you would bring to mind those in our life who we could be a LaVon Prouty for. In Jesus' name, amen.